Jim will have our prayer, and then Don McNew will introduce our speaker. Good morning. Good morning. Let me ask you to think with me over the three lines of Charles Wesley's hymn, Jesus Lover of My Soul, one of my favorite hymns in, in all, all the hymnal. But, but listen to what, to what this man says. He had a way with words, didn't he? Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. While the nearer waters roll, while the tempest still is high. Hide me, O my Savior, hide, till the storm of this life is past. Safe in the heaven above, O receive my soul at last. Nick, other refuge have I none, hangs my helpless soul on leave ah leave me not alone still support and comfort me all my trust in thee is stayed all my help in thee i bring cover my defenseless head the shadow of thy wing plenteous grace with thee is found grace to cover all i said let the healing streams abound make and keep me pure within Thou of life the fountain art, freely let me take of thee. Spring thou up within my heart, rise to all eternity. Wonderful words. Let's bow our head for a short prayer. Our Father, we come to you today to help remind ourselves of our absolute dependence on you. Gracious and loving Father, we come to sing your praises also. We have no other one to go to. Teach us how to call on your name, on your never-ending love. Make us humble and useful to the work of the gospel. We thank you for this wonderful gathering of our brothers and sisters. Heal any who are ill. Prosper all the various work of this class. We ask it in Christ's name. We are certainly pleased to have Scott Dixon back with us again. And incidentally, he'll be here next week as well. Scott's a member of the uh, Rejoice Sunday School class, but I've got a feeling he spends more time in other classes because he is requested as a teacher so often. So when he gets through fumbling with his computer, let's welcome Scott. <laughs> Y'all brave letting me go first. That's often dangerous. I warn people, wind me up and say go, and it's sometimes, you know. Yeah, I don't know if you saw as it was flashed in some of the pictures. There was a billboard with uh, about organ donation, and uh, my dad is in the middle of it because he was a, a living donor. And I saw put a thing on Facebook the other day that he was heading down to the car show to recruit. I'm like, so what? You going to, like, recruit and then encourage him to drive fast or what? <laughs> you know? Just making sure he has a good pipeline, a supply, you know. Um, this is not a fun lesson for me. This is not. I have to say, I hate politics. And I hate church politics. A whole lot. A whole lot. When I was younger, uh, when I lived in Pennsylvania, um, like I was in graduate school and the church I was in was the old downtown church. So they had a lot of students, but they also had mostly an older congregation. And so as the member who wasn't older, I got tagged to be on every kind of committee there was. And I pretty quickly learned that that was not my gift. Administration is not on my list. But 
stuff goes on in the church that we need to know about. And there's a lot of stuff been going on within the Methodist church that we need to know about and, and that we need to approach prayerfully and approach in a way that, that remembers that we are all created in God's image, right? And that we understand that in different ways. So we're going to talk about some legislation coming up for the upcoming general conference. And I came over a year ago to talk about what was coming up to the previous general conference, right? And then a while back to talk about what was coming up to the one before that, right? So this one is is coming up with a lot of animosity, but it's really important for us to remember what it says in the front of our United Methodist Hymnal. <clears throat> the beginning of the liturgy for baptism of adults and those who can speak for themselves says, the church is of God and it's capital C church and will be preserved to the end of time for the conduct of worship and the due administration of God's word and sacraments, the maintenance of Christian fellowship and discipline, the edification of believers and the conversion of the world, all of every age and station stand in need of the means of grace which it alone supplies. Isaiah tells us that God's word is going to go out and not be thwarted. Right? Stuff happens. People understand things differently along the way. You get to the end of Revelation. We have a new creation where we all come back together. But in the meantime, we have different understandings of how God is calling our lives along the way. And yes, there are people who are disingenuous. Yes, absolutely. Yes, there are people who who strongly follow Rahm Emanuel's advice to never let a good uh, controversy or crisis go to waste. Right? But there's an awful lot of people in the middle who are genuine and genuinely understand their perspective is God's call in their life, their understanding. What am I talking about? Well, previously on our show, <clears throat> there's been a lot of contention within the church over a lot of issues. Our current issue has been around LGBT issues, right? That's not even the thing that is going on right now. It's the things that happen because of that thing, okay? This is just today's controversy. We've had a lot of other ones. Really what it all comes down to is the Book of Discipline says, as we talk about how we understand Scripture, it says, the living core of the Christian faith was revealed in Scripture, illumined by tradition, vivified by personal experience, and confirmed by reason. Scripture, however, is primary revealing the word of God so far as it's necessary for our salvation. And in that, seems clear, is not clear, right? If we go around this room and all look at how we understand particular passages of Scripture, it's like Paul talks about, now I see in a mirror dimly, then I'll be seen face to face. We bring to it ourselves. And in that we have different understandings. Some people see the Bible as a list of do this, do this, do this. Some people see certain sections as a do this, don't do this. Some people see a broader picture that talks about God's overarching nature and will. Some people see a mix. Some people read things as as not necessarily allegorical, but as uh, uh, not as categorical statements for all time in all cases, right? And other people do. So there's a whole mix of how we understand Scripture that we all are trying to arrive at in an honest and prayerful way. And it's really important to understand that. 
I often will listen to uh, First Presbyterian Church in the morning on Sundays because it just happens to be on the radio about the time I'm done walking the dog and I'm getting in the shower, right? And <clears throat> this morning, their sermon was about how one of the fundamental difficulties in the world today is how we hold each other in such contempt. And it's not just that we disagree, but it's that we disagree. So you're hateful, right? And, and that's not how God intends it. Now, our scripture today, Jesus replied, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives because your hearts are unyielding, but it wasn't that way from the beginning. That's weird scripture, isn't it? So, a lot of the controversy within the Methodist church today is around issues regarding LGBT. That's today's issue. Step back. Let's go back to 1872, when language was first inserted into the, to the book of discipline regarding divorce. People got a bug under their saddle and said, we need something in the discipline that says you're not doing that. And language was inserted into the discipline that said, no divorce unless you are the victim of adultery. And it wasn't so much no divorce. It was, if you divorce, you cannot remarry unless you're the victim of adultery. And any pastor who officiates that wedding can be brought on charges. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Okay. In 1880, they kind of doubled down. And then a group of people were like, really? You know, sometimes you have spouses who are abusive. And sometimes you have spouses that abandon, but don't hook up with somebody else. And sometimes you have spouses that are just dissolute and all these other things. And sometimes, sometimes y'all just can't get along. And sometimes the hurt is less if you divorce. The damage, yes, it's damage to divorce, but that damage is less than what you do to hurt each other if you stay together, right? And so they tried to moderate some of the language. Well, no, that, that argument went on for a long, long time. And then in the early 1900s, they're like, by golly, no. Whole lot of no. Only in the, in, in the cases of you're the victim of adultery. Otherwise, you are a serial polygamist. That was the words the discipline added. This went on until 1968. When the United Methodist Church was formed, and part of how that formation happened, the EUB didn't have that hard of a language. In order to make that merger happen, they softened the stance and said, look, divorce is a bad thing. People are meant to come together and be joined as life partners. But sometimes it doesn't work out. That was 1968. Okay. A hundred years after it started. Okay. And now we perhaps have gone too far the other side, right? But, I mean, who could have imagined? I, my pastor, when I was in high school, was a divorced woman, okay? Two big strikes from, from a lot of perspectives. Who would have thought? But no, and she's still a great friend, and she's, she's just retired. It was funny. when She, she had a, a thing on Facebook a while back saying that, uh, that she was celebrating, like, the 40th anniversary of her ordination. I said, Sue, I forget. Were you ordained by... Bishop Asbury, or was that Bishop Coke? <laughs> and she's like, I would have expected that from your dad, but, you know. But nonetheless, right? So, so the church kind of has come to a position that, that marriage is a sacred thing, and you're meant to be together, but that there are cases where it doesn't happen, and the damage is lessened. And Jesus said, yeah, because you're not, you're not rising up to that image of God that ideal of God that was shown to us in the garden. The ideal was 
God's image of us being together. But because of hardness of heart, okay, because of our fallenness, Moses allowed you divorce. But that's not the way it was from the beginning. My point there is that sometimes you have to pick the lesser of two evils. And I think that's what we got going on right now, okay, with respect to what's happening in the church. Now, the other thing that I think is an important parallel is, remember, 1872, 1872 to 1968, the current LGBT issues were first put into the discipline in 1972. We're only halfway, right? We got another 50 years. The church's timeline is not our timeline. God's timeline is not our timeline. Bear in mind that the Greek Orthodox Church only agreed in 1950 as to what the definitive list of books in the Bible were. Things take a long time. And we say, wow, it took them a long time. The rest of the church agreed in 367. It only took us 350 years, right? Instead of 2000. So what's been going on? Well, we had this general conference that became a mess. The consequences of that were nothing happened, including a lot of important, just regular business of the church. So we said, bishops, do your bishop thing. Lead us. Come up with a plan, and we'll, y'all come back to us in three years, and you'll have a plan. And they said, got it. Well, they came back with three plans, which was not terribly helpful. And as such, we had more wrangling. And the plan that squeaked through in terms of a vote Holy conferencing is an idea that John Wesley talks about a lot, and it's how the Spirit moves us as a group, and we can be confident of the Spirit's movement in the consensus. 50% plus one is not a consensus, okay? I'm sorry. Um, 53% is not a consensus. So, so we come up with a plan, whether you like the plan or not. It had 11 points. Half of them got struck down as unconstitutional, but it's the thing that was passed, and so we're stuck still. It's hard to move forward regardless of what side of the issue you're on. Part of this plan, though, however, was the notion of a graceful exit, which kind of said, okay, if y'all would like to leave, you're welcome to. And so the traditional plan was the one that had prevailed. But it was interesting that, that the other side, rather than saying, okay, fine, we're going to go, felt their role was to stay and try to perfect the church. Well, that didn't help anybody out, right? If you're not going to go, then we can't move on. We're going to just stay and argue. So we continue and continue and continue. Now we got this general conference coming up again. Every four years, we have a general conference, worldwide conference of the Methodist Church. And this one appears to be going into it that there's all these different groups putting together plans for separation, this plan and that plan. And there's plans on the right and there's plans on the left and there's plans in the middle. And, and there's just going to be a lot of smoke but not much light and much heat generated. Out of this comes a, a general feeling. The fact that all these plans exist is the fact that there really are hard, hard feelings, but there's a genuine, sincere difference in how people approach Scripture, right? That That is each, each group says, and they have worked hard to prayerfully understand it, right? They have genuine, heartfelt differences that are irreconcilable. And so the notion has come, maybe it's time that we allow each other that freedom to pursue God's call in our life in the way that God has called us and quit fighting about it, okay? Uh, one of the people who was on the convening committee for the, this, this protocol we're going to talk about said, 
if we continue to fight, then when we ultimately do separate, will we have any love left? Right? And so, so the Bishop of Sierra Leone, John Yambasu, who was well-known and well-respected throughout the general church, got together with some folks. He, he worked with the leaders of each of the constituencies involved, that is to say, the Wesleyan Covenant Association and the other people on the traditionalist side, as well as the leaders on the, on the progressive side, as well as the centrist leaders, as well as LGBT, as well as the, the groups that, that have been putting together each of the plans that were crafting legislation and said, let's come sit down together and let's get somebody who understands mediation to figure out, out, help us figure out what we really are looking for, right? That's the thing the bishops didn't have. So a friend of a friend of a friend, Ken Feinberg gets involved. Ken Feinberg is a world-renowned mediator. He helped mediate, well, he was the lead mediator in the 9-11 Victims Fund, in the Agent Orange settlements, in a whole bunch of the Exxon Valdez settlements, all of these sorts of things. Big time, he understands how to get people to talk about what is it that you're really looking for and to come to an agreement. The goal here was to find a way that we can move forward unanimously. Holy conferencing. Yeah. Back to the global issue. Is this a global issue of the congregation or is this a global issue of the political leaders, the politicians of the church? I, so all the congregations sitting around having this conversation now. I think a lot of them are. Yeah, I mean, so if you were to, not just in the U.S. but around the world. Yes, 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 and even places that you'd be surprised, right? So um, people say, oh well, you know, the African congregations are all so conservative. Well, their national leadership is conservative, and so a lot of them, as a policy, follow the national leadership because LGBT stuff it tends to be a capital crime. Right. So regardless of how they personally feel, they're not going to stand up and say, please come chop my head off. Right. But there are a number of the congregations there that are are openly joining the reconciliation, reconciling movement, which is the progressive movement. All right. So there is a whole lot more consternation at the individual church level globally. Okay, you go to the European church, which is actually fairly small from the United Methodist standpoint, because there's other Wesleyan denominations there. And it's not. It's not an issue there. It hadn't been for a while, right? But in in the U.S. and in South America and in Africa and the Philippines, which are the, the core areas of the United Methodist church, yeah, it, church by church, it's a big deal. Go around this church, poll the people, it's a big deal. Go around the other churches in North Georgia, it's a big deal, right? Some geographies will have a stronger uh, uh, view one way or another, and therein lies the problem because individuals aren't evenly distributed in their views. And so as a broader church, we find regional perspectives on things, right? That some are more conservative, some are less conservative. So yeah, it is a big deal still. Mm -hmm. They re So a lot of people have, yes, a really large number of people. And see, that's the thing. The leadership of the church is effectively the council of bishops. There's not a boss. Right. And and there has just been we've had 50 years on this issue, on this issue. And, and this is why I'm so clear that the notion of moving towards a split has at this instant in time had the wedge of the LGBT issue put in place to split it. But this is not the first time that our church has reached a near dividing point over an issue of of 
scriptural understanding. In fact, if you step back in the time machine again, we already did this game. 1838, we split once. It took us 100 years to join back together and another 40 years to take out of the discipline the discrimination that was left in in order to make that happen, right? And we're still separating. We're still struggling with this. I mean, and so so there genuinely are differences in how people approach Scripture. Why do you think we have other denominations, right? And and so so I really think that there is a big difference, and it and it comes down church by and the fact that it comes down to church by church means that every church is going to be affected. Okay, every church is going to be affected. All of us in this room are going to ultimately be affected, no matter what happens. No matter what happens, <laughs> the fact that this legislation is even going forward means that there'll be thoughts and considerations and arguments to go and go forward. And, and whether or not churches split, there'll be friendships split. There'll be pe- friendships that are formed, right? It's not all about split. It's, it's join with the people who now that you know you're more, have more affinity to. But the goal really is, if we can quit fighting, we can get on about doing something, right? And, and the key with this group that Bishop Yambasu pulled together was we got to have consensus. Anything we do has to be unanimous. It's either unanimous or it's not. My little brother spent eight years on the United Methodist General Commission on the Status and Role of Women. And, and, and so, I mean, it's, it's one of the general commissions of the church. He was a young adult representative. Uh, he was, it was funny when he got married. Um, a friend of his who had just graduated seminary helped officiate. And I mean, like she had just, she was provisional elder, had just, 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 just. And sitting there in the front row is the first black woman bishop. And another very, very powerful woman bishop. And poor Deb was like, uh, it's kind of like when I come in here and Malone's here or when I go to Seekers <laughs> and, and Bill Floyd was there. But, um, but he said that they always approach things from the perspective of holy conferencing. And they only had two decisions, unanimous or fail, right? That meant go back to slow, okay? That meant that things happened very slowly and they might not get things done at every meeting but when they got things done they could be confident right they could be confident right so this is this is the goal so this team that represented constituencies across the denomination across the global church has come forward with a strategy and a framework for which legislation has been crafted and basically they say look we got to have unanimous agreement we have to promise that none of the people who have signed on to this are going to challenge it. We're going to stay together. We're going to say that we're going to support this plan instead of the plans that they had been working on, right? So the people who were heading up the Indianapolis plan or the Centrist plan or the Mainline plan, or even though those people who crafted the other plans were in the room, they said, okay, fine, we will cover, we will support this plan together. Recently, there was a legislative committee meetings in anticipation of of general conference where the each of these groups was presenting their legislation that they were bringing forward and they would bring it forward and say here's our slate of legislation that we've submitted but we're supporting the protocols not this legislation that we just told you that we're bringing it was already put in you can't take it out right and so so the idea is we're going to we're going to we're going to do this together okay they're encouraging their constituencies to do likewise and again, it's unanimity. Either all, uh, and the way this legislation is crafted, either all of the parts of it pass 
or none of them pass. You can't pick and choose out of this plan, okay? And once it's done, it's done. You can't come back later and, and in particular around the financial settlements, ask for more, right? Everybody's agreeing on that. And so there's an element of trust that has to be in place between groups of people that have for the last 50 years learned to not trust each other. That's holy conferencing, right? So what does this thing even do? The idea is we're going to flip things around. What is it that the traditional church really wants? The traditional membership wants to be able to have a church that reflects their biblical view, okay? And after a while, what the mediator came to was not, okay, how do we let the other people leave? But why does the traditional perspective want to stay with the United Methodist Church? Isn't that a lot of baggage? Isn't that a lot of stuff that you'd have to fix to make it move towards your perspective? What if that church let you go free with your stuff? Because this has always been the sticking point. It's been the trust clause, right? Who owns the stuff? And we'll help you get set up so y'all can do your thing on our dime without all the baggage that has been the Methodist Church. You don't get to say the United Methodist name. You don't get to have the cross and the flame trademark logo of the Corporation of the United Methodist Church. But are those really the thing that you're fighting for? No. And so, so what happens is this allows the traditional Methodist Church the Methodist denomination, to create a new denomination with the help of the existing church. It allows both sides to move ahead. It makes it so that that they can share programs where it makes sense. I mean, nobody's going to disagree that UMCOR is an awesome thing to support, right? There's no disagreement around that. Everybody is in favor of that kind of thing. Let's continue to do that together. Let's continue to do things together where it makes sense. But where it doesn't, we'll do our thing. So... The United Methodist Church, as it exists, will be. They, they, they use these words. They call it the post-separation United Methodist Church. Let's assume that the legislation, because when you, we propose it, you assume it's going to pass. The post-separation church retains the general church and its stuff, okay, and its liabilities. You don't get to keep your stuff if you don't keep the bills that go with it, right? That means that all the general board structure, all the property of the United Methodist Church remain United Methodist Church. <laughs> That means the United Methodist Church retains that really cool piece of property located immediately between the Capitol and the Supreme Court. If you ever been to the Methodist building in Washington, it literally is one stoplight to the Supreme Court and one stoplight across the street to the Capitol. Probably one of the most valuable pieces of real estate in the whole country. Um, there's an awful lot has gone into, okay, so how do we treat our, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. I'll get to that. I'm going top down. So we'll get to that. Right. So pastors' pensions have been a huge sticking point all along. Pastors who are participating now, pastors who are living on their pensions, they can stay whole. The details of some of those finances are beyond my financial understanding. But the notion is Westpath, which is the, the, the pension board of the church, is able to support the new denominations as well. Right. So, so pastors don't get left out in the cold. Right. The bishops can arrange to like do umcore together, that kind of thing where it makes sense. One of the really big sticking points previously had been around the trust clause. That is to say the thing that says that we own the mortgage here, but we don't own the property. Right. The way the United Methodist Church is arranged is on purpose. It's hard to leave on purpose. On purpose, we're connected. We're connected in districts. We're connected in conferences. And, and that connection 
has always been part of the perspective of how the church functions and grows, okay? That the bishops place pastors and that the property is owned by the annual conference held in trust for the local congregation, okay? So, North Georgia Conference owns this land. We own the note. In the, in the proposal, everybody gets to take their stuff if they choose to leave, okay? You take your bills with you, right? You take your bills with you. That is to say annual conferences. That is to say jurisdictional conferences. That is to say the central conferences, which are essentially the jurisdictions outside the U.S. The United Methodist Church sets aside a bucket of money, $25 million, to help seed the creation of the traditionalist Methodist denomination with the promise that you can't come back and ask for more. That's it. This is, this is a negotiated divorce settlement is what this is. Okay, it's a negotiated divorce settlement. They set aside some money in case, so, so the, 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 the really, really, really progressives are like, well, wait a minute, why are they getting money? What if we wanted to go? So they set aside some money in case they want to. But everybody believes that's not going to happen, right? It goes back to, right, remember when, when I said that we, the, the divorce language changed when the EUB rejoined, were joined with the Methodist Church and they had to make some agreements? That's one of those things that you put in to get them on board. Likewise, <clears throat> both organizations have a pretty big fund of, of cash to work towards essentially offsetting systemic racism all over, globally within the church, right? Because there's a feeling that, that there has been a lot of underserved communities within the U.S., and there's a feeling that there's a lot of uh, the, the congregations outside the U.S. have kind of been not say colonialized, but, but they have been dependent upon funding from the American church, and this helps to, to bridge that gap, right? Again, I think this is less core to the decision. It's a way to make sure everybody's on board. The, yeah, it's a start. It's a, well, it's, it's not a forever thing. That's a, we're going to set this bucket up, and we'll still keep doing our stuff. Yeah, but again, that's just to, that's just to get you started. That's to go and set up your initial organization. Then it's presumed that that church, that denomination will do its thing and support itself. Well, they're not building the churches. They're not building churches because churches that leave take their stuff. This is like to set up an administrative office, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I don't, it's not It's not like I just read in a paper that the Mormons have a $100 billion slush fund that they didn't want anybody to know about because that would make people give less. We don't have that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Both. You can't take the building and dump the note on somebody else. That's nah, that's no good. Oh no 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 no. That's the whole. That's been the crux of the issue. Was the, the discipline right now says you're free to leave. You are free to leave, and you take your note, but you don't get to keep the land, right? And you have to pay extra to go in for the pension of all those pastors that you've left dangling in the wind, right? So it's hard. This says. We're going to let people go their way. And, and I, I think what it does is this, says, this, this gives the traditional uh, folks an opportunity to have a fresh start. Because there's a lot of baggage in the existing church. Yeah. No, 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 no. Sometimes, okay, sometimes in a marriage, you just want to be done with those people. No, it doesn't actually. The traditionalists have always said, y'all can go. But the key is... What's the benefit of if I stay or if I go? What's the thing that I'm holding on to? What am I holding on to? Am I holding on to an existing structure that I'm going to have to gut anyway? It's a teardown. 
because all of those, I mean, the traditional point of view is, is that three quarters of, of the general boards are, are operating contrary to their worldview and ought to be gone. Okay. That's a lot of hassle to have to undo. I mean, you don't want to keep all those people just to have to lay off 3,000 people, right? Why not just let me go and start fresh, build new, right? And, 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 and it's always been the case up until now that the notion was the progressives would leave and the traditionalists would keep the church. But I think the key out of this, this mediation was the thing that you want is not it's not the old church. It's the opportunity to make a new one. So don't confuse. Well, yes, this is an issue that has swelled up. But if you'd ever gotten down to how individuals viewed scripture, if you've part of what's happened is the LGBT issue has made people just have uh, have a gut reaction one, but it's also made people reassess how they understand scripture too. Okay. And, 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 I, and I think that there's a bunch of people who do, who do try to use it as a way to understand what does the Bible say? And some who say, I don't like those folks, right? Or I don't like the folks who don't like those folks, okay? So we got both sides. And, and so this is today's issue that has caused the division, right? And there's always an issue like that popping up. And, and yes, it's absolutely the case that churches will end up having chaos, Right. And and that chaos has been really 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 active in an awful lot of churches. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ten years back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yes, and and it's going to be a mess. It's going to be a mess. But 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 there's a whole lot more going on in that discussion that you just said than just changing demographics. It's a function of leadership and a function of demographics and a function of society and all of those things. And, and, and the fact is that whether or not you have seen it with your circle, <clears throat> people have left this church already over this issue. People that, and the thing is, what happens is they leave the church, but the net church is still gone down. This, the net church, this church, okay, this church maybe has grown, but this church in this campus has shrunk. We've shrunk a lot in the last 20 years. And, and, and there's a lot of things that go into that. Yeah. No. 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 I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so here's the specifics. The protocol is a framework. The legislation, the details of that have come out, and I have not waded through all 100 pages because realistically... You're never going to understand all of them, but the, the protocol is here's the framework that all of this sits in. What it comes down to is the notion is we'll create a traditional Methodist denomination. Okay, that's the expectation. Quickly. Okay. And then within it, the default path is do nothing and you stay like you are. Nobody says anybody has to do anything. Okay. The general, and so, so let's say the whole United Methodist Church has a bunch of annual conferences. Each of these annual conferences has a bunch of congregations, right? The way the process is lined out is we're going to create a traditional Methodist denomination. On day zero, that's an empty shell because nobody has joined it yet. Okay. A group of leaders says, I've got this group of people that says, if we can form this denomination, we would like to be a part of it. Cool. Y'all go ahead and see if you can't organize yourself. At that point, <clears throat> Annual conferences can choose to affiliate with the new denomination and disaffiliate with the United Methodist Church. Annual conferences 
as a vote of the delegation of the annual conference, okay, with a 57% majority. Again, in my mind, not a consensus, but it's what they agreed to. Now, the annual conference can move. Well, wait, I don't like that. Individual churches are likely to be the case that in every one of these annual conferences that moved, there's churches that didn't want to, and then in every one of these annual conferences that stayed, there's churches that are like, why couldn't I move? Okay? And the annual conferences have the opportunity, I mean, the, the individual congregations have the opportunity to vote as well. Okay? The church has that opportunity. And then individually, individually, there's already been a lot of voting with your feet. You know, and, and that's a that's a, 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 a cynical perspective. But but ultimately, people affiliate with churches that for lots of reasons. Maybe they came here because they like the music. Maybe they came here because they love the youth program. Maybe they come here because they love the sermons. Maybe they come here because they love this class. Right. And and the same sorts of things change over time that make them affiliate with a different congregation. Sometimes you take the perspective of I'm going to stay because this is, my, this is my church, and I've been here for a long time, and it makes me mad, but it's where I'd rather be, right? And that's a hard decision. But ultimately, what happens is that, that the annual con- if, if that traditional denomination is created, then annual conferences have the opportunity to affiliate, and then individual churches have the opportunity to go back. Yeah. So here's one of those things. What percentage of the population in the U.S. is driving our political change? Hardly any. Hardly any. Right? It's those who are active. Now, that doesn't mean, to your point, that there's not an awful lot of people who don't have an opinion. Right? Um, but they have not had an opinion strong enough to make them stand up out of their chair and go do something. We have delegates that are selected by each church to go to annual conferences as our representatives and, and make decisions on our behalf. We have delegates to the annual to the general conferences and to jurisdictional conferences that are voted on by the delegations to annual conference, right? That have been selected by our representatives to go and represent us on our behalf. So the delegates to annual conference are selected by each church in the process that that church chooses. It starts with somebody letting the pastor know that, hey, I'd really like to do that, right? Or the nominating committee coming and tapping you. For the jurisdictional and the and the general conferences, you put yourself forward as a nominee. You write up a biography and position statements and you go and you you present yourself at, at informational meetings of the delegations to those conferences and you say, Here's what I would like to see done at general conference, please vote for me. And they pick a fixed number of lay and a fixed number of clergy, depending upon the relative sizes. It's just like Congress, right? We get a certain number of representatives because our state is a particular size. We get a certain number of representatives to the General Conference because North Georgia is freaking big, right? We get more than our fair share. Um, I mean, we have as many delegates to, a, to General Conference as a lot of countries, right? Or more than a lot of countries because North Georgia is the largest conference in the United Methodist Church. And so, so yeah, I mean, we have, we have, it's like, okay, how did those people get in Congress? They put themselves forward and they campaign for it, right? Yeah. It's less of a financial disaster than it was. All right, but who's looking at the finance? I mean, they have a certain pot amount of money. Is anybody doing projections? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Finances have been driving the whole thing. And the whole thing is, is that it's all a financial disaster. Right. It doesn't matter what you do. It's a financial disaster. So we're unhappy. Let's just blow the place up. No, no, no. This, because, because, okay, so, so the other pieces that are important to note are that bottom part right here. 
it doesn't matter whether we do this or don't, because it's going to happen, right? The largest body within the traditional movement, the Wesleyan Covenant Association, has been ready for several years to leave in mass. They've said, we're going to go do this whether you vote for it or not, right? The Wesleyan Covenant Association is, is, is the largest of all of the groups that are, are within the traditional movement. Randy Mickler is one of the really big leads. Mount Bethel is one of the really big churches as a part of that, right? But but they're 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 part of the general church and they're they're they've been unhappy for a long time with the way the United Methodist Church has been moving and have said we have to have a church where we can live out our biblical understanding. And if we can't move the Methodist Church to that, we're going to go somewhere where we can. Uh, yeah. How big is that group? Uh, roughly? So there's several hundred congregations at least as a part of it, and they're big and they're active. Well, see, the 57 percent are conference by conference. It, it would be a huge proportion of South Georgia, huge proportion. It would be a pretty fair proportion. I mean, it's big. It's big churches too. It's like Mount Bethel. It's big churches. Yeah, they're going to create a denomination of their own. Well, so so okay. While as much as we we place as much as we place place a lot of stock in the trust clause of the United Methodist Church, and as many times as it has been upheld in court, it has also also sometimes failed in court. And if you get a precedent set and break the trust clause, now here's what happens: financial disaster. The lawyers get rich, right? The notion here is: look, we're going to split one way or another. We can either do it where we hate each other and we both spend every last dime we have on lawyers. Like, go read any of that clickbait on the internet about hateful divorces, right? Or we can have a clean and mediated separation where we're not going to spend all of the money that, that has been given towards the mission of God for lawyers. Yeah. So... Can you name any denomination that hasn't declined significantly? Right? I mean, so it goes back to your point about demographics and what's been going on in the country. And church is having a rough time, period. And and uh, so the other piece is, are numbers really the best measure of of how people are are participating in in what God, God's call for their life is. I mean, we're seeing lots of, of around the world, small churches that aren't part of affiliated big denominations, right? So I think that it's a, it's a shift in how we see church. And yeah, everybody's been having a hard time. And some of that is moving left and the people move right. Some of it is move right and the people are moving left, you know? I just saw a thing that there's a new movement within the Baptist church that says SBC is just getting soft. We got to get back to basics. I'm, I'm for real. I am for real. That says, let's get rid of any of this discussion about women having any role at all. And let's quit, you know, nothing about race. And let's, let's line up. Literally, there was also one of the clauses in their, in their, in their list was, and our church needs to do its patriotic duty. Right. And so that's a new perspective. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh. yeah. 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 And, and, and so, so, and that comes down to do the people who leave go nowhere or do they go somewhere? And if there's people who, who, whatever direction this church would go, why do you assume that you wouldn't get an influx from people leaving somewhere else? Right. And, and but so you're right. You're absolutely right that that when you bought too much house and your money goes down, you got a problem, 
right? Um, that has nothing to do with God's call on how you interpret Scripture. Worrying about, oh no, if we split because of this, I'm not going to be able to make the mortgage. I think that the key here is, is who died and made every single piece of legislation that's come out of the city council or the state legislature or Congress a great idea? It, it, is, it is a proposal. This is not a done deal. It's a proposal that has been brought forward by the leaders of each of the constituencies and said, look, this is a way that we can solve this because all of the other proposals that are out there lead to spending all of your money on lawyers and still not solving it, right? No, no, no. There's no such thing. Okay, so, so, I tell you what, here's how we're going to, we're going to prove that we can get the consensus. We're all going to lunch today, and we're going to have one vote, and it's going to be a unanimous vote on where we're going. Okay? When, when I used to be a kid, we'd pull out of church. We couldn't get a unanimous vote between the front seat and the back seat. Okay? There is no such thing. Therefore, this is in a lot of ways as good as we can get right now. And the choice is to stay here and bleed and, 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 and do nothing. Because what, what has happened the last three general conferences has been important things that have done, that would have done, things like shoring up the financial situation of the global church or of the church in the U.S., have not been able to move forward because we couldn't get past this issue, right? It's a negotiated divorce that says maybe divorce is the right thing. And maybe it isn't, but we got to have a way to stay together and a commitment on both sides to go to counseling and a commitment on both sides to put the work in. And that's not there. That's, yeah, yeah. So the reason for the divorce ultimately comes down to fundamentally different perspectives on how to approach Scripture. The issue today, the issue today is how to approach Scripture with respect to LGBT issues. The, the, the reason last year was how to approach it with respect to divorce. The year before that was how to approach it with respect to drinking. The year before that was how to approach it with respect to slavery. In between there was how to approach it with respect to women. There's always an issue. It's, it's, that's part of it, but it's, it's just in general, what's the role of LGBTQ people and pastors and churches with respect to that? But that's not ultimately the thing that drives the separation. It's the fact that, that there are huge constituencies within the church who genuinely and sincerely approach scripture in different ways. And the people who approach it in, in one way with respect to LGBT have been the people who have approached it the same way with respect to a lot of these other issues, right? No, no, no. It's a, well, but still, how many, okay, and we talked about a really small percentage as far as women in pastorates, and we talked about a really small percentage as, you know, when we talk about race issues, that's a really small percentage of the population if you want to get right down to it, I mean, crass. It's, and, 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 and to a large degree... The one side says Jesus's big message was, and how do you deal with that really small percentage of people, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to run over our bed quick soon. Mount Bethel, Randy Mickler. Yeah. Adam Hamilton is very squarely a centrist. Very squarely a centrist. Adam was working really hard to find a way to stay together, but he is lining up behind the protocol. Yeah. Yeah. And, and these are the big questions that we've been worrying about here this last half hour is what happens to me, to my church? Right? Yeah, what happens in North Georgia? I, I don't care. I don't care. Right? I don't have an attachment to North Georgia. I have an attachment to the people here. Right? And, and it's a thing that I struggle with all the time. What do I do? Um, 
and and it's going to be a thing that is going to cause feelings to change um and it's going to mean probably that that we each need to redouble our commitment if we want it to succeed a big piece of why we've had financial problems is because a really big proportion of our membership doesn't participate in a meaningful way with giving right yeah <laughs> our church oh I, you know i'm not certain we've got we've got 250 to 300,000 and there's about 10 million globally no there's more than that <laughs> say again okay okay yeah yeah so yeah okay so so mainstream which is a centrist group polled the general conference delegations in the US the more red it is is the more leaning progressive the more gray it is is the more it leans traditionalist north georgia is a battleground while we may have north fulton we also have the cap right you know and that's what it comes down to yeah Oh, yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like a lot of people say uh, geography doesn't vote, but conferences each have an opportunity. And within each one of these conferences, even if a conference is strongly one way or another, individuals, individual congregations may be strongly the other way. Hence, you can move. Yeah, it's hard to find. Yeah, I've been out there and tried to find a church, and it's hard, right? It's real hard. Palo Alto First Methodist, though, is a nice church. I like it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's what politics is. That's what politics is. That's what, poli- that's what representative organizations are. And, and here's the point of that. If it's not like you want, go do something with it. Put yourself forward as a delegate, right? That's what they say. If you don't like it, run for office. Yeah. It is so hard to figure them out. We hadn't heard anything. I got an idea about a couple of them, and I got an idea about another couple of them. Um, But, you know, they're on purpose because it's not done, and they're not delegates. They're not saying. Yeah. Yeah. Larry. Yes. Well, and that's a whole new that's a whole new ball of wax there. But yes, you're absolutely, and that's my point: is it's not an LGBT thing. It's it's a how do we understand scripture? Oh, sure. Yeah. But what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do about it? Okay. Why can't we all? Well, that's what people do. There is no stay like we are. There is no stay like we are. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing. No plan is going to be perfect. No plan is going to make a lot of people happy. What you can do, though, is the goal is a mediated separation. If that's not what we want, let's find a way we can get along. A whole lot of prayer is needed. A whole lot of prayer is needed. A whole lot of prayer is needed to help us individually to understand how do we interpret, how do we understand Scripture, how do we understand what Scripture is, how do we understand how scripture is reflected by us. Is it reflected by us in a clear way or is it reflected by us in a way that really reflects us, right? Go to one of Bishop Sue's town halls. She's doing town halls. Hadn't heard about that, have you, right? I got that. Well, good, good. (laughs) But the church, the capital church will be preserved, okay? Revelation tells us. It may not be this week, but it will. I'm gonna send this out. Make sure you go through these, and I think they'll be really helpful. There's a video FAQ. Watch it. It's an hour long, but it's people from each of those sides talking about finances, talking about what about the 
contention within the churches. How did we get to this? Why are we doing it anyways? There's a large, uh, the, the leader of the WCA talks about, we've been ready to go. We're ready to go and we're going, whether y'all come with us or not, right? We're going to have a church that we can feel comfortable in, okay? Um, and, and that one is your delegates. Let your delegates to general conference know. Call them up. Let them know how you feel, right? Call your congressman. That's the same thing. Listen to Bishop Sue's podcast. She does a really nice job in talking about it. Let's pray so we can go to church and not be too late. Gracious Lord, we thank you for bringing us together. We know that this is a hard time. It's a hard time for so many reasons. It's a hard time because some of us are frustrated with the direction that the church is going. Some of us are frustrated in that why can't it stay like it has been. Some of us want to stay and and build tabernacles and live in this special time and special place. But, you know, we know that you come and touch us and say to go out and to do your will and to not be afraid. Help us to figure out what that is. Maybe not worry so much about the long, long, long term, but to know what it is you would have us to do today. How you would have us to carry out your will, whether it's to be a part of this or whether it's to feel the call to go be more active in in serving the poor and helping those who are in need and enlivening us to, to live out our faith. Help us to feel the frustration, to make that frustration turn into action for your benefit. Be with us as we go out into this rainy afternoon to get together again and say all this we ask in Jesus. I'm sorry. Oh, you're fine, Scott. Thank you very much. Thank you. Not a problem. Thank you very much. This is a very hot button issue, but we know this too shall pass at some point in time. Um, speaking about the bishop, I saw this on Facebook. Uh, Sue Halpert yep. Johnson. Okay. She is going to have a series of town hall meetings. I think five of them. They start March 1st at 3 o'clock. Hillside United Methodist Church, um, which is in Woodstock on Town Lake Parkway. March 1st, 3 o'clock. That'll be your first one. Then she'll have one March 8th at Peachtree Road United Methodist. March 22nd, Madison First United Methodist. I don't think we all want to go to Madison. Uh, March 29th, Fayetteville. April 19th, um, Trinity at the Well United Methodist. I'm not sure where that is. April 26th in the Cartersville United Methodist. So anyway, I've, I've got this if anybody wants it. It's a town hall meeting. I assume she takes, I don't know. Anyway. Okay. If I did that, I did that. Okay, come on along, ladies, while I get... Oh, a lighter, happier note. Yeah. We have Mardi Gras coming up. Uh, and we don't have much time. I've got a pad here. I don't think there's much sense in passing it around. This is if you have signed up to bring a side or an appetizer or a salad. Some of you have not. I don't know where we stand about the number of people that have paid. I think Mike was going to talk to those who hadn't paid. The main thing I want to say this morning is, we really do need you all to carpool. There is a very limited number of parking spaces, and should we go over the number, then we have to have a valet, which costs us, and we can't afford to do it. So, you all could meet it. We could meet at the church with another couple and go, or meet at friends' house. It's just very, very important that we do carpool. Maybe we should try to get a church back. Well, now, I'm not into that. I don't know if somebody else wants to take care of that. Um, just make a regular appetizer. I mean, a regular size, whatever. I did want to make a couple of suggestions, though. Like, if, if you haven't signed up, I think probably at this point, 
just bring either the appetizer or a side or a salad. You know, we've got the desserts covered and we're going to have king cakes. We do bring your beverage that you'd like to have. If you want to have wine, water, Cokes, whatever, we've got ice and all. But I just wanted to throw out a couple of things about sides. You could bring jambalaya. Last year, somebody brought cornbread that was a big hit. Shrimp Creole, you know, kind of think of something that might be fun for Mardi Gras. Look up some recipes. That would be fun. Uh, masks, they've got them for, at the Dollar Tree and 6 o'clock. I don't know of anything else. Do you mean, Ann? Okay. Yeah, that's good. I'll, I'll put it over here by Janice on the table and you can check it off because some people haven't signed, but we're so close, you know. Okay, that's it. Class, we need to take a quick vote. In years past, when we've gone up for our birthday party next Saturday at Murphy Harps Children's Home, uh, we've been able to take money from our treasury to give them a check that day. Of course, I'm saying this because Charlie uh, and I had a conversation before class. So I would like to recommend that, by the way, here's Mr. Hunt donated to the bingo party, <laughs> bingo prize. I'd like to uh, move that we give Murphy Harps $500 this year out of our treasure. Do I hear a second? Yes. All in favor? Aye. Thank you. And we have a great group. It's going to be a fun day. Thank you. Betty. Um, okay, Murphy Hartberg, get your cans to church. Got a nice uh, supply going here. It's this month. So just bring them to this office right there in the Boy Scouts <laughs> office room. And the Boy Scouts will pick them up. Uh, Wednesday night dinner at 445. Uh, the garage sale starts May 3rd. Put that on your calendar. And I think that's all I have. Okay. A life with love. Here's my words of wisdom. Listen up. As, um, what's his name says? A life with love will have some thorns, but a life without love will have no roses. Dr. Seuss. <laughs>